Well, let's talk about um, more Bigfoot sightings in unlikely places before we go to some of the well-known, like Salt Fork was mentioned. Um, and this is one of your favorites. This took place um, in Butler, Ohio in 1978. There were a series of sightings that one family had, had of a figure that became known as Big Head. <laughs> we need to talk about Big Head. So Big Head, now this is like Minerva Monster, and I've never shown this in public, and this was sent to me privately by, by an investigator. This is the original Big Head police report. <laughs> so you're thinking, oh, Big Head, this is just silly. This is this is a story that, that happened near Butler, Ohio, in Richland County. So it's actually not far from where I live now. Um, I'm down in Wadsworth. But this is a story a lot like Minerva, happened the same summer as Minerva at the same time as Minerva, over the, the exact same months, all that kind of stuff. And like Minerva, it's the same kind of like weird, extremely hairy creature report they call it Big Head because, it says right here, um, I'm looking at it, but okay, five feet away, an unknown object believed to be approximately 78 feet in height, unknown weight, having a head approximately three feet in diameter, very large red eyes. Um, and he was seen by a family called the Kleins. And, and just a little trivia, this was going to be the sequel to Minerva Monster. The movie we were going to make after Minerva Monster was going to be a, a trilogy movie. It was going to be tracking Big Head, <laughs> Old Orange Eyes, and the Charles Middle Lake Monster. And we never made that movie because a lot of these original witnesses, unfortunately, especially in the Klein family, are gone. Uh, they passed away, so there was no way for us to talk to these people. But they saw this creature multiple times, and they reported it multiple times. And like the, uh, the Minerva case, they were they were um, ridiculed for it. They still live in the same house in the exact same spot. Um, they saw a creature one night, you know, walking. I think they saw across some railroad tracks. Train, yeah. Some train tracks right by the house. Um, the, when you say it's it's in a weird place, it, 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 it is. And one of the other <coughs> unusual things about this place, there's this weird triangle here where you, this was what I was in the movie. It was going to be part of the storytelling. Like you had Charles Mill Lake where in the ninth, early 1950s, the Charles Mill Lake Monster was seen. Charles Mill Lake Monster was a weird, armless, frog-like amphibian creature that two kids reported seeing to a local newspaper. The story was really popular at the time. It was on the front page of the paper. It was talked about. It's not well known, but it's one of my favorites. And it's not, again, it's not far from where I live now. Then you had um, Old Orange Eyes taking place down near Ma uh, Mansfield, and then this, Butler County, this is over by Ashland, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Between Mansfield and Mount Vernon. Yeah, okay. So they're all, they're all in this weird like triangle of, to a triangle of monsters. Now, Old Orange Eyes is tied to Cleveland. The origin of this creature is tied to Cleveland in what seems very much to be a, a um, probably a folk tale, because there's this story that uh, an old tunnel was being worked on in the Cleveland area, mm -hmm. and because of the construction going on near the tunnel or in the tunnel, Old Orange Eyes fled the tunnel where he'd been living and moved to Mansfield. And this is a story you find online, just like he, he called U-Haul. Guys, get out here with that truck. Um, but those are. This is one. I really love this story. I wish. I wish I could. Someday I might have to do something about it. Maybe case files or something. Mm -hmm.
And it was three sightings over the course of about three days. Yeah, it's not mm -hmm. a it's it's not a really extensive flap. It did involve there were I, I did dig up one or two other sightings from the same general area, not super close, but close enough that you could connect them a little bit in the same summer. And that 1978 summer is a really busy summer um, because of the big head and old orange eyes and Minerva, and it's either. It might be Big Muddy, or it might be Momo. It's also 1978. Mm -hmm. So there's some, some major small-time monster stuff going on there. Yeah. Right here. And the best names yeah. for Bigfoot came out of the 70s, too. <laughs> yeah. Where do you want to go next? Well, this was mine. Man, I, 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 that is one of my favorites. But as long as I did want to show this real quick. Oh, and I have a photo. This is what Big Head looked like. Oh, you can't see that. <laughs> Hold on, let me zoom. This is from a local, I guess a Bigfoot kind of paper or something. But there he is. See that big Oh, yeah. oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> that big. There he is. So that's that was cool. That was sent to me by a researcher named Ron Schaffner. And Ron did a lot of, of Bigfoot research um, in the in the 1970, late 70s, 80s, and into the into the 90s. I think he was even still researching in the early 2000s. But the, the Big Head story is, is one of my favorites from Ohio. Um, when it, we got to talk about sulfur because we we're down to like 18 minutes. All right. We want to make sure we've got time for Q&A. Sure. Um, yeah. But we got to talk about sulfur because that is, for some reason, I want to talk about sulfur, but I also want to mention Cuyahoga Valley National Park, which a lot of us, if you live in this area, you've probably been to Cuyahoga Valley National Park. It's, it's the place I go hiking the most. It's got the... For whatever reason, it has more Bigfoot reports than any other place in Ohio. Now, when I say that, you got to understand that's just documented online sighting reports. If you look up, you can find more documented reports online of Cuyahoga Valley than any other place in Ohio. I would not imagine it beats out Cambridge area, Salt Fork, and down. You know, I, I but a, a, something to keep in mind is a lot of those stories coming out of that area are by hunters, and they're not being reported to Bigfoot hunting organizations and posted online. So when I say that, that you know this is the Bigfoot hub in Ohio, that wouldn't be correct, but it does have the most documented reports online, Cuyahoga Valley, um, especially around like Great Oaks Trail area, which is where I like to go. And have we ever had anything weird happen to us there, other than getting lost that night? <laughs> getting lost, and that was when the cicadas were out. Okay, that was cool. And they were dive bombing yeah, dive the whole time we were there. It's on a Sasquatch episode. Check it out. It's yes. great. Sasquatch is screaming the whole time. I'm not joking for the most part. He's like, ah. Oh. Awesome. I, was, I, I was creeped out. I hate those things. We, we need to get, uh, we're going to do a, a another Sasquatch meetup like we did last year. We haven't talked about this yet. But we're going to do, we, we, do a, we do dinner in, in, in Peninsula, and then we go and we actually go to Cuyahoga Valley and walk around one of these trails. Get lost. Dark. So if anyone wants to come out, we're going to do that later this summer. We'll put up like an event page thing about it. Yeah. Um, it's mostly an excuse to go eat at uh, Fisher's Cafe, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it is a lot of fun. But Cuyahoga Valley um, also has one of my favorite <laughs> stories, sighting stories that I've heard from Ohio, which was a, a, a National Guardsman who was home on, I think it was National Guards, or he might have been just an army, I can't remember, but he was home on, on leave and was out walking with two friends down the railroad tracks going through a peninsula. And they were walking down to this abandoned train um, that sits right off the tracks. Anyone that knows the park might 
you know where I'm talking about. Um, and on the on the they're walking on the tracks, and on on the left, after a certain point, there's nowhere you can go. You're on the tracks. You're either going to jump into swamp on either side, or you're going to get run over by a train. So they're walking along <laughs> the train tracks, and they start hearing something paralleling them through the swamp, and loud splashes or whatever. And and then they hear this roar, this loud roar come from their left. And they look over, and, and the guy said that he thought he was looking at a tree stump sticking up out of the swamp. And then it stood up. And when it stood up, it, it actually, they turned around and started running back in the direction of Peninsula. And the thing actually was running, keeping pace with them, running through the swamp. And the swamp is, that's, it's a deep, you know, you run through the muck and all that thing. So whatever this was, was keeping pace with them and uh, terrified him. And this guy isn't the type of guy that gets terrified easily. And I can't even tell you how many times we've taken reports from guys who aren't scared easily, who are legitimately terrified by what they experience. And when you talk to them about what they saw, even if it's happened years later, you can see visibly that it's shaken them. It, it bothers them just to think about it and to remember. There was another, I was looking at something today, I was uh, the Eric Altman interview. He was talking about an Iraq veteran who came home with uh, PTSD, and um, nighttime fishing is what calmed him down. Well, he was out fishing at night one time and had an encounter with the creature that approached him walking down the creek bed. And as you could imagine, that reignited his uh, PTSD. Now it was an effect of seeing this creature instead of uh, being in wartime. So it has a dramatic effect on the strongest among us, really, are the yeah. people that you would imagine would be the most well-equipped to handle that sort of situation and encounter, it affects them every bit as much. And, and with, just to get back, Salt Fork State Park in, in southeastern or northeastern? Southeast. Southeastern yeah. Ohio. Um, it's only about 45 minutes below where I grew up, but I had never been there until a few years ago. It's considered the hub of of Bigfoot activity in Ohio. I've been there a few times. I've never experienced anything other than a weird smell that was probably Andy. <laughs> but I mean, well, I say that because I was with Andy. No, but but we we've been there a few times. I've never experienced anything weird, but we've definitely spoken to people who claim to experience things down in Salt Fork. So I don't know how you guys feel about Salt Fork, but, but to me. To me, yeah. it is the Disneyland, it's like Bigfoot's Disneyland in right. Ohio. Right. That's my take. And right, I think part of the appeal of going to Salt Fork today is you can walk the same trails for very famous reports have come in from, and at least imagine in your own mind that, oh, this is where that happened. Maybe the one famous case in the sense that it made it onto a Discovery Channel um, special at one time uh, took place at the Morgan's Knob Loop Trail. And we've hiked Morgan's Knob Loop. We've gone right up to the picnic table at the very top of that trail where this allegedly took place. And there was a family hiking up the trail. They got to the very top. The parents said, and if you walked th that trail, you know this, they needed to sit down because it's, all, it's uphill all the way to the very top. So they sat on the picnic table, and then there's a rise, and the kids went down to play on the other side of the rise. So it's all, you know, very beautiful scene, and they're kind of catching their breath. 
and they hear the kids scream. And a couple of the kids come tearing up the hill saying, we saw it, we saw it. And there's another kid still down there. And then he screams too. And they eventually all make it back up the hill and they report that what they saw was a creature, uh, whatever it was, doing the classic, if you know these reports, the peeking out from behind a tree and then standing back up so that the tree is sort of in, in place and there's some cover there. And then it would peek out again and then stand up again. And the kids later reported that what they saw were deer first running past, and then this creature was chasing the deer. And they just got an up-close look at this thing, but they hightailed it back up uh, Morgan's Knob. Is there a creature peeking out from behind me? <laughs> okay, I could feel its eyes on me. But, uh, Thank you, next stand up. Yeah, but on the um, Discovery Channel show, or Destination America, or whatever it was, the family said that they really played it up to make it sound like Bigfoot was stalking the children, when the children never really felt that way. They knew, they saw clearly Bigfoot was stalking the deer, if anything. They just happened to be at the right place at the right time. But it, it, those are the type of encounters that are, are, that you get from Salt Fork, because there's a lot of easily accessed trails, a lot of families. The undergrowth is extremely yeah. thick there. That is one thing about Salt Fork I'll say in favor of it being a hub is that the undergrowth there, almost anywhere you go, is, is extremely thick in the middle of summer especially. But even even all year, we've been there in in winter and you can hardly walk into off some of the trails there. So mm -hmm. good place to hide. Yeah. If you ever if you ever do make it down to Salt Fork State Park, the big photo op is uh, the one so called primitive campground um, has on its sign Bigfoot Ridge at the bottom. <laughs> So if you ever make it down there, you need to get your picture taken by the Bigfoot Ridge sign. It's sort of a rite of passage for yes. the Bigfoot enthusiasts. We've done it. Yes, yeah, we have. Yeah, forgot about that. All right. Um, anything else we need to touch on before we? Their gift the shop at Salt Fork is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Disneyland. It's yeah. tons of like Bigfoot this year stuff. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's tons more that we could talk about, including the white Bigfoot of Ohio, which seems to be a high, you talk about a, a sort of a niche group of a larger spectrum, a white Bigfoot are very rarely reported, and for whatever reason, white-haired Bigfoot are reported very, are more frequently than other places than in Ohio, and especially in the work of Don Keating, who uh, has been very instrumental in the newcomer's town. He coined the phrase Sasquatch Triangle, to describe an area from Coshock, from Newcomerstown to Coshocton and Salt Fork in Guernsey County. Mm. And a lot of the personal research he did, he seemed to be running across a gray or white colored Bigfoot a lot, which is very strange and leads to a lot of interesting speculation. Um, Let's do Q and A. Yeah, I just like that picture. So that's a great picture. <laughs> really love it. His eyes. He looks. He's got a little grin and a beard. Yeah, he's, he's happy. Really. Yeah. All right. So let's do questions. Yes. I'm from Arizona, and I'm from the desert part of it. But my mom's from up in the upper part of it. Oh yeah. There's the White Mountains in the Apache Reservation. Yep. And my dad was really. He knew all the languages and all that. Most of the Indian and Native Americans there in Arizona. And 
I went to see a medicine man with me one day when I was in my childhood, and the guy talked about the Sasquatch to my dad, and he said, yes, I think my daughter would like to hear that story. And the guy sat down, and he, my dad interpreted it to me, the story, and it came down a long time in this guy's uh, uh, lineage that his whole family talked about a man that walked through and they called him Sasquatch. And that was the, uh, that was the name for it. And uh, they said uh, also in Arizona that this Apache group of people um, worshipped it at one time uh, as, a, as a deity. Um, there were so many of them that had seen it that it was, it was unbelievable to them. And even, even the famous um, um, a chief, um, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, I can't think of his name right now. Anyway, he was an Apache chief. Uh, he, uh, Geronimo, he, he knew of this thing. And he had seen it in his boyhood and his father and their father before them. They had seen this thing. So yeah, in native. I don't know, but the, but but they. It, it's been a long time. It's old. It's an old story yes. about a hairy, big man yeah. that they've seen. What is what is Kathy's book? Giant. Uh, Kathy Strain is a is an author, and she's she's done a lot of work with uh, Native Americans around the country. She she compiled all those stories that possibly relate to Bigfoot in a book called Giants, Cannibals, and Monsters. Um, I highly recommend checking that out, especially if you're into that side of this, because... Could you write that down for me so I don't know what to get? Please. Yeah, afterward. Yep. So, um, so yeah, yeah, we've been doing the Sasquatch. On the podcast, we've been doing, it's called Sasquatch Nation, where we go state by state and take a look at you know, some of the reports, but also the geography. And that was eye-opening to me to find out that you know the northeastern part of Arizona, it's not like you think of when you hear Arizona in your mind, you see desert and cactus and stuff like that. But yeah, the Mogollon Rim and everything is up there, and it's a very different climate, very different geography. So it really... My dad blazed trails up in the Mahio. Really? Oh, wow. So, yeah, so uh, it was like my whole family, but my dad said that he respected the Sasquatch. <laughs> yeah, I'm... So my dad... I said, did you ever see one, Daddy? He said, no, but he said, I respect the Native Americans in that they have seen him and that he's there for a reason. Yeah. He's one of their deities, they believe. So mm. that, that's all that my dad needed to know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm curious about, you know, you've done a lot of research here in Ohio. Is it, have you noticed, like, migratory? I mean, because, like, the stories you're saying, like, in 78, you've got, you know, stories from one county to another. Um, do they come in bunches like that? Did you do any digging into, like, small-town newspapers? You yeah, know? I mean, that's where I, that's where right. I was focused mostly. Um, they, there, there are definitely flaps. I haven't noticed a migrant, any kind of migratory pattern. Sightings in Ohio happen all year round. In fact, I mean, there's some really big sightings, like sightings that people reference a lot, that took place in the middle of winter. So it doesn't seem like they're, they're, they're moving out of any one area unless, the only way, at least not out of state, maybe they move further south in Ohio. If they, one, one year I did try to track 
citing reports based on counties, the, the rainfall uh, distribution mm -hmm. patterns. There, there's a rainfall map up on, mm -hmm. online you can find. And you can track, as weird as that seems, because if you track what, what states in America have the highest rainfall uh, per year, those are the states where there's the most Bigfoot sightings. Oregon, Washington, you know, like that tends to be the way it is. And you can kind of do the same thing in Ohio. So where there's the most rainfall, that's where the, there's the most sightings taking place. Or at least the most, you know, the most consistent amount of sightings. Yeah. Yeah, with all these reports, uh, is there any report or reports of people trying to communicate with a uh, Bigfoot or a Sasquatch? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think where you run into those are the so-called uh, habituation cases, meaning that um, somewhat like the Catons in Minerva, it's a, you live where you live, and something seems to be coming around where you live. And so you, some people, under certain conditions, try to initiate some sort of communication, mostly in the, the form of leaving stuff out for them, and then taking it. Uh, food, usually, is a big one. Um, and it, well, that's that. Sometimes it, you, people do report that an exchange starts to happen. You know, you leave out enough apples, and pretty soon something shows up on your back porch that wasn't there before. Now, what kind of communication that is? Xbox One. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> they're great. They're the best gift in the world. Yeah. I, but yeah, I mean, there there can be, and there's definitely those who go into it with that goal. I don't know how far you push that. The Cadens claim to have fed the, the Minerva monster. Uh, they, they were told by someone to start leaving scraps out, so they would throw scraps back in the, the strip pit behind the house, and that's where it started being seen. So, like meat? Um, anything. From the end of the day, they just <laughs> threw it all in a bucket and chucked it back there. In fact, the night that the incident happened that, that spurred them to call the police, it was after they had throwing some stuff back there. Now, that's one thing about that story I've never quite understood. They seem to have a pretty, almost, the, the, the first newspaper article said the Minerva monster is more like a pet, or a, it's, yeah. it's worded something like that, but what, what I don't understand about that is if that's the case, why they call the police? So, and, and I mean, their dog did end up dead. It's a very, yeah. it's something I'd like to talk to Howie about at some point. I'm curious what spurred, you know, if something had happened, if it screamed, if some, some incident had spurred them to call the police, other than just the strange smell and the fact that they were seeing yeah. And that, um, that can take a dark turn, too, because we just heard a story about a family that owned an orchard, and they were always picking bushels of apples, and something big was taking a lot of the apples at night. And they came out one night and saw what appeared to be a Bigfoot creature popping apples whole into its mouth. And so as it walked away, somebody took a shot at one. And uh, they found what they thought was blood on the road. They had it tested, and it turned out to be saliva and apple juice. So what, what was it? I mean, who knows? But uh, that's a case where they weren't trying to communicate, and uh, they were just afraid of what they encountered. Yes. We'll take a few. Oh, wait, one more. Oh, me? Yeah, okay. Um, I uh, did have an encounter when I was 10, uh, 35 years ago now, 1982. Um, 
My uh, dad used to work at the Smith & Wesson plant in Rock Creek, uh, which is, you know, about 40 minutes from here, I think. And uh, at that time, we were living in uh, Dorset, and we had an old farmhouse, and we heated it with wood. Uh, and so they, uh, the plant uh, owned all the property going all the way back to railroad tracks that ran parallel. And they gave my dad permission to go back there and cut as much firewood as he wanted for free. So um, we used to go in the fall every year for, I don't know, at least four or five years, um, right around September, October. And uh, on one of our trips, it was a Saturday, um, he had already cut down the trees, done all the chainsaw work, and he was splitting logs for, I don't know, a couple hours, and it was my job to haul them back to the pickup truck and put them in the bed. And on one of the return trips, uh, I just happened to look up, wasn't, you know, didn't hear anything, uh, and as he said, I just happened to glance up and all of a sudden, right 20 feet in front of me was this thing doing exactly what you said, peeking at me out from behind a tree. <laughs> And I froze and immediately screamed and, and took off. And I was scared it. And it turned around and went the same direction. So I, I went back and told my dad what happened. And uh, of course, he just laughed at me and said, Oh, you're seeing things. And you know, it was probably <laughs> a log or stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, didn't believe me then, doesn't believe it now. But uh, having watched, uh, I had actually kind of forgot about it over you know, the course of the years and then uh, didn't really start getting interested in Bigfoot again until started watching some of the documentaries and you know, the fine Bigfoots. Mm -hmm. And when they started doing the tree knocking, uh, that's what got me thinking, well, you know, my dad was splitting logs and that sounds pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. And so it got me wondering if the thing hadn't come around because it hurt him cutting wood and was just curious. Where, where was that again? It was in Rock Creek. It was uh, behind Foreman Road off of Tish Road. There was railroad tracks there and they about 20 years ago, I think now, they tore out the tracks and they, it's a bike trail now. And we actually, my wife and I, we went up there two, was it two years ago now? A year and a half? And we walked the bike trail about a mile and a half in to right around the same spot behind the plant and looked around and that's where that uh, photo I showed you where we found that tree break. You do kind of wonder what development, what, what kind of impact development has on sightings. Like where I grew up in Bolivar, <clears throat> there, were, there were all these sightings that used to take place back on this one particular road. In fact, I knew a family that claimed that they could follow these things on horseback. Um, and and all, all sorts of people back there had encounters with something. And something back on those roads was also ripping deer in half and stuffing them up in trees. So, so there was a lot of weird stuff that happened down there. But over the years, that area has been pretty heavily developed. You drive down St. Peter's Church Road now, there's houses all over those woods. And it's nowhere near as, as, as you know, uh, unpopulated as it would have been back then. Um, what do you think about the reports that the Ohio, for whatever reason, the Ohio Bigfoots seem to be more 
aggressive and more violent than others. See, I've never heard, the, I've always heard it the other way, the, the, the like southern Sasquatch is kind of like the mean one and, and the, the Ohio Bigfoot reports are, I don't know. You know, in the Minerva case, it seems to be a curious creature. And, and that's what the big head and, and any reports out of Mansfield of what they call old orange eyes, which is kind of a name they lumped onto all sightings of, of Bigfoot creatures in the Mansfield area. Um, they all just seem like curious animals. Or, or people, or dimension hopping. There are more sightings during the day or at night? They say they think it's nocturnal, but then well, the Patterson... I, I, there's I, plenty of daytime there's sightings. There's plenty of daytime sightings. I think there's probably a higher percentage of... of there's probably a higher percentage of daytime sightings, but that might be because of the fact that right. people are out. Right. Yeah. 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 They always go hunting for Right. Mine well, was on daylight. It was probably about between 11 and 1. I'm yeah. not sure the exact time, but it was right around there. I have, I have issues with people that, not issues with people that go looking for Bigfoot. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, like anytime you hear frequent reports about sightings of Bigfoot from groups that are out looking for Bigfoot, the, the reports that interest me are the ones that happened to people that weren't out looking right. and something happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, and having read thousands of pages of this Isn't stuff. Isn't that most of them? Yeah, yeah nobody, I think the, the... Nobody that goes out looking for one really finds one. That's the only encounters seem to be right. accidental. That's Your best... Bigfoot's still on the air. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> Having read thousands of pages on this, your best chance of seeing a Bigfoot is to ride in, a, ride in a car between 1 and 3 a.m. down a back country road. Yeah. Just watch out for shotgun. It just seems like the time after time. It makes sense. You have these groups going out and they're making all this racket. Yeah. Right. With all the sophisticated technology, thermal imaging and all that stuff, has is that going to be any help when you go going? Oh no. It's it's hopped into its dimension. I mean, there's, it really hasn't. Okay. You know, the, the best the best photographic evidence for the existence of this creature is either the, the Patterson-Gimlin film, which is the one everyone loves, or hates, depending on who you are, what side of the fence you fall. Um, what side of the fence do you fall? Uh, on oh. the Patterson-Gimlin film? Do we got to go there? <laughs> I don't know. You know, my problem with it is if I say I, I'm like either to either side of the fence, it's saying I'm to either side of the fence on Bigfoot. Because the Patterson-Gimlin film either shows a Bigfoot or it shows a guy in a suit. If I say it shows a Bigfoot, I'm saying I believe in Bigfoot. I'm not there yet. So you remain a skeptic. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a skeptic. I'm skeptical. And I'm more toward the belief side of the fence right now because of something that happened to me. Um, but wh where was I going two seconds ago? Oh, the Freeman footage is, is probably my actual favorite Bigfoot footage. I don't know if anyone's seen the Freeman footage, but... It's, it's called the Freeman footage. It was taken in the uh, Blue Mountains. That sounds right. Sounds right. Isn't that one where the guy goes like this with his camera and then he takes a That's picture? literally every shot. <laughs> every, that might be every, every Bigfoot video out there is a guy along the hillside, like from a distance. He sees it going close, through a forest. Actually. It almost yeah. looks like it hits a tree at one yeah. point. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube. He well, takes a couple of big perky jerky steps. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I remember what my, had my encounter. 
I wasn't even thinking Bigfoot. Well, I didn't think Bigfoot for years. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. That's, mean, that's why I don't buy well, into why don't we have a clear photo necessarily. Well, I mean, you know, I, I get that everyone's got their phone now, but how many of those people when they encounter something they've never seen before, never had any idea exists, when they see that creature, they're like, hold on, let me Snapchat this. <laughs> Can you just stand still? I think the most successful technology that's been employed in this field is audio recordings. Um, that's, that's the most compelling stuff that, yeah, right, that uh, has withstood some scrutiny is, and part of the reason for that is you can record something that's fairly remote. I think a lot of the, the FLIR technology and the game trails depends on them being close to the device, and um, they seem to be able to evade that for whatever reason. A lot of people say that they smell something horrible when they're around. The, the Minerva Monster, they, they, they cons consistently said that they smelled ammonia, which is weird, like rotten egg smell or ammonia. They would smell one of those two things when it was around um, every time. And what's weird is the police officer that investigated the Minerva Monster case, James Shannon, when he arrived at the scene, he said there was a noticeable aroma of ammonia in the air. And he said he saw, they smelled that same thing the next day. They went up in the woods on horseback and in jeeps uh, on the woods, in the woods behind the Caton's house looking for the monster. And he said he smelled it up there too. And what's really strange, and this might have been a phantom smell or me just wanting to have a, a place in this story. We were down there filming the Minerva Monster movie and we were up in the woods and we smelled something really unusual that was kind of like ammonia or sulfur even. Um, and we, we thought that was odd, but I was like, are we just... I was not there that day. <laughs> <laughs> I can blame Andy. Yeah. <laughs> so, was my, his alibi, my alibi. <laughs> um, yeah. I have a question for all three of you guys. Um, you mentioned uh, at the beginning of the presentation how one of the other things you guys had in common was your faith. Mm -hmm. Now, where does Bigfoot fit into that if you ascribe to the theory that it's a possible human ape hybrid or a missing link, uh, how does that fit in uh, evolution versus your belief in creationism? Mm -hmm. Wow. What are you doing? We, we, we never get this deep in our presentation. <laughs> well, I'm serious about this stuff. So no, right. yeah. Uh, so, for, so for me, I mean, I'm, I'm, I fall more on the ape side of things. And again, I'm not on Because I, I just think it's unusual. You, I, most of the time, you don't really hear, I don't want, I don't want to you know, stereotype anybody, but you don't really associate religious people or people of faith as being... I mean, I, mean, I, I understand a lot of the people right. I speak to actually are, you know, Christians. In fact, David Bacara, that runs the expedition uh, Bigfoot Museum in Georgia, is a, is a Christian. I mean, there's a lot of people that I know that are, that are Christians who are into this. So again, like for me, I'm more of a, I'm more on the, on the still trying to figure it out for myself kind of thing. And I hate jumping too far ahead with theorizing on how they exist. As an ape, you know, an, an unknown ape. That's kind of how I look at it. That's what I. If it did turn out to be a missing link, how would that? Oh, it would. It would. I would blow your mind searching the scriptures for some sort of <laughs> answer on what yeah. was going on there. Right. 
And you know, it, I had an email that was pretty much that exact question just a week or two ago. Boy, they're really putting you on the spot. They are, yeah. And my answer to them went sort of like this. Um, I'll do it less eloquently, and I apologize for that. But said so first of all, you know, uh, someone who is a confessing Christian, someone who believes in historic Christianity, is okay with mystery because the faith is founded on certain mysteries that we get so far with what we believe God has said, and then there's things that we just cannot conceive of. So our faith depends on mystery in a sense. So there's a certain comfort level that Christians actually have with mystery that other people may not. Uh, the other part to that is, you know, I, I'm not necessarily persuaded that Darwin's theories of species becoming other species, um, I'm just not persuaded by the evidence that that's necessarily yeah. true. So that leaves room for a Sasquatch, a Bigfoot, maybe a biological creature that we just don't know what it is. We don't know the limit, and for some reason with me, I guess it's the belief in mystery comes naturally to me, uh, ape man, not a missing link, but uh, ape just out there that we don't know about, to me, just makes sense. I don't know if it's the fact I've been brought up in this, in the weird community, but it just, it sets influence on my life. Um, it's, for some reason, it just makes sense and it fits, it just fits. I'm not saying, it somehow, whenever I think missing link in Bigfoot, it, first of all, there's little to no evidence of Darwinism evolution. Sorry. But with that being said, why is the missing link bigger and stronger than us? If it's the link in between the lesser and, the, and us, the higher beings, why is it bigger, <laughs> stronger, smarter, stayed hidden longer than us? Because gorillas are bigger and stronger than us. We're smarter than them. Right. Yet, why are they there? Why, if they are... We found, there's this reason for me, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're smarter, apparently, because I, I don't think they're smart. They may I don't be smart. I don't even know how smart apes really are. I mean, did you hear about the orangutan who was escaping from his cage by means of a bent lockpick that he fashioned himself and was hiding Badgers in his have gotten out of their cages and... He was hiding it in his mouth to keep the zookeepers wow. from finding it. And they have no idea how he learned to do this. There's, there's, right. yeah. Yeah, and there's no doubt. I th the, the bottom line for me is that, you know, I was just reading about this today. Uh, most people, even who don't necessarily buy the Bible as little, literal truth, believe that there was an experience of David fighting this Goliath character who was about nine feet tall by our standards. And I'm not suggesting, as cool as it sounds, <laughs> that he was a Bigfoot in armor. As much as I would love that. Every time I think of David, no. But, yeah, but um, there, there's no reason for me to think that the Bible disallows for a large, man-like, yet hairy creature. 
And There's no contradiction. The, the other thing to that is we've been, I've been criti criticized by Christians for looking into this, by the way. You know, like, that's why you I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely had that happen. I've had the same thing happen. That's mm -hmm. why I was curious. Yeah, and, and to me, I don't think there's anything that says I can't try to figure this out for myself either. Mm -hmm. You know, so guys, we're 15 minutes, 16 minutes past the closing time, so we, we need to wrap up. So thanks for thanks for coming out, and um, I'll be over there, and they'll be over there. And be around. Make sure you guys tune in to Sasquatch, a podcast about Bigfoot. Um, Sasquatch. Sasquatch.podbean.com, uh, yep. uh, iTunes. Um, my movies are all on Amazon and, and Vimeo as well. So if you're not if you're not into DVDs and stuff, you can check them out on there. Um, we're doing a lecture tomorrow. And tomorrow we are showing Boggy show. Creek Monster here. Here, yes. And uh, we'll be we'll all be back. Same time. Where's Boggy Creek? That is uh, Southern Arkansas. That's what I thought. Okay. Yep. I just thought there was an Ohio theme. That would be. I would love it. I go there every day if Fog Arkansas was Fog Ohio. Who knows about the Mothman the most? <laughs> <laughs>